fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. We are episode 29 now. The light is on. The plexiglass is up. My dad's mm-hmm. got a mask on. We're good to go. But before we get to the guests, I want to remind you guys that if you're watching this on YouTube and you want the audio-only version, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And vice versa, if you're listening to me but you want to check out what the studio looks like, come see us on YouTube. Wherever you are, please subscribe. It really does mean a lot to me. Numbers have been going up lately, and, and it's, it's just really warmed my heart. Uh, finally, if you want to contact the show, it's just chill podcasting at gmail.com. Now let's uh, not waste any more time. I'm super mm-hmm. excited to have this man in the studio, Mr. Darren Frost. I'm here. I'm used to plexiglass. <laughs> Comedian extraordinaire. Uh, you're kind of a Canadian comedy legend, I would say. You've been around for ages. You're a veteran. I would definitely say veteran. I don't know about legend per, uh, per se, but definitely veteran. Yeah, 30 years almost. Well, I mean, hey, you, you can only stick around that long if you're doing something right. That's my theory. Or doing something so badly that they have no other place for you. So, yeah. yes. Well, they can try to stick you in a hole, but nothing, no cage can contain you, I wouldn't think. Well. Um, Russell Peters called you one of the edgiest comics in Canada, which I would say, based on what I've seen from your material, is definitely true. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys that kind of throw that gauntlet down. There's guys like Derek Sagan, and there's guys like Jason Rouse and Aaron Berg and yep. Kenny Robinson, and a few others. But yeah, I think I'm probably one of the edgiest. Yeah, if not the edgiest. It really depends on what tour I'm doing and what I'm throwing. So my last special, I was listening to it because I had to get ready for a show, first one in nine months, and even I was like surprised at some of the things I said. I was like... I don't know if I could even pull that off anymore. I, where I had the confidence even seven months ago, you know. And that's uh, story yelling? Yeah, story yelling, yeah. So that's your seventh independent Canadian comedy Yes, release. and I released it on March 1st, and I was supposed to do one last loop around the sun, tour of Canada, oh, and anywhere else I could in one year. And then COVID hit, and now I'm kind of restarting it now. But even still, it's very piecemeal, because it's only a few shows here and there. But uh, yeah, I originally had a plan, a big one-year kind of thing. Yeah, that's a impeccable timing to say the least. I, I read an interview you had done with Danny. Shout out to Danny because mm-hmm. he, he's awesome at connecting me with cool people. Um, but you guys, even then, were talking about how the world was kind of ending. And yes. you, were, you were like making jokes about I might catch coronavirus, but clearly didn't realize you know the level it was going to of course very quickly develop into. Yeah. So um, like, what was that like for you then to have to kind of shelve everything when you were probably so pumped to really get out on the road? Well, I mean, for for me, it was kind of discouraging because it's I'm in the twilight of my career. I'm not a fool. I'm not an idiot. You know, uh, energy is a is a motherfucker. So <laughs> I don't have as much energy as I did say 10, 15 years ago. So I did put a lot of time and thought into. I've got one loop around left. Let's. That doesn't mean I was quitting. That just means I'm never going to tour like this again. I would this do weekend like warrior a, stuff, but one big tour. Yeah. Out west, out east. You know, none of it. Like Yellowknife mm. everywhere. Oh shit. Do it all. Do it one last time. Fuck everyone if they don't like it and fuck it them if they do <laughs> kind of attitude. So I did put a lot into it and then it all just kind of capsized. And these are first world problems. I mean, of course, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, my kids are still fed. I still have a job doing cartoon voices. I still am making a little bit of money. A lot of my friends don't. So I don't try to dwell on, well, oh, that's kind of shitty that all that energy when it's just energy. Yeah. Um, that's but, a healthy attitude to have during yeah, the pandemic for yes, sure. You know. People are losing their fucking jobs and lives, and I just can't go to Yellowknife? You know, boohoo. Yeah, but that being said, I mean, a lot of people from the pandemic are already uh, spun out into kind of depressive states. Sure. So I could, I could see that if that was happening to you potentially as a normal person, to then, like, tag on, oh, and my shit got canceled. Like, it could yeah. be a little extra weighty, but... 
Nevertheless, we're on the end of the, well, maybe not, it's not over, but you're starting to get back out there at least. I know I'm you're doing, doing some dates. And, you know, I always played the idea that I'm cursed anyways. It's been my angle for about 10, 15 years now. <laughs> so how much more cursed can I be than release an album and then a pandemic stops me? You know, True. I can always use that energy and anger. And as, you know, someone famous once said, anger is an energy and I believe in it. Who said that? Johnny Rotten. Oh, nice. Um, all right. Well, in, oh, one thing I wanted to say about the new album was that I thought it was really cool that you just put it out for free yes that's yeah. just a super rad move in my yeah. opinion yeah i mean at that time i my attitude was like i don't really even though i've made money off my albums and dvds i don't really do it for the money so at that point i'm like everybody's stuck inside life is shit it's bad yeah. you wanted to escape for an hour i'll write another hour if i was to do it it's not that much skin off my back and so i did put it out for free it is out on youtube and a few other places and i also put it on my usb stick so people who buy my whole career which i'm sure we may get into later also has a copy of it so nice. i've always given away a lot of stuff a well, lot. A good way to build a fan base because, I mean, not everyone has the money necessarily to, to pay for a Crave subscription or whatever it might be, you know? Right. And also my attitude is I'll just write more material. If I give it away or get it out there, it forces me to keep doing it. Fair. I have to write more material because I can't rely on something everybody's already heard. Yeah. So you're at Yucks Ottawa this weekend from yesterday. Yeah, my first show in nine months. That was the first Last one. Night, okay, that's yeah, what I was going to ask one, you. Yeah. So... It was. What uh, do you like behind the plexiglass? We've talked about it with, with other comics. Y you know, for 30 years, I've asked for protection from a crowd, and now I finally got it. That's my attitude. Now, if anybody whips something at me, it's not going to hit me. If they're going to charge me, they got to go through glass. It ain't going to happen, so well, I we're can gonna, say whatever I want. I'm going to have to jump ahead then because I had that way down here, but I saw sure. a video of you getting fucking pelted with like a, what was it, a glass or something? Well, it was like a scotch tumbler glass, you know, oh, those thick bottom glass. It was rough, dude. It was tough. It, it hurt, and it, it people think it's just a little cup that got thrown at me it was you know a hard glass oh yeah it looked like you got winded instantly yeah. you just keeled over yeah and, and i went down for a minute bent over and then i said look i'm in a show i got to keep going and the club did nothing about it they weren't really even kicked out they walked out like they fucking owned the place and to me that's canadian comedy it's like even the crowd can attack a performer and they're still like well they got a big bar tab that's bullshit i'll fucking uh, link that video when at this point in, sure. the, in the podcast because i think people should see it you can tell even just from the ambient or ambient um, conversation that's happening at the mm -hmm. time that you're, I mean, you're saying fucked up stuff, but it's basically like some dude gets mad after heckling and causing bullshit. Yes. And you kind of say something that leads into like, I fucked your mother kind of shit, which is like, well, so for, let me give you a bit of a backdrop. Yeah, yeah, you're going to like the thing. So what happened is it was an X rated show. When I do an X rated show, I force clubs to put up warnings. So it's like, it literally says X rated. You will be offended. No I don't refunds, like X rated, like, yeah. but at least it gives someone an idea of some fucked up shit's going to go down. And so, uh, like I said last night, people think they're going to see cock. Then they see me and they're like, I hope he just talks about his cock. Um, <laughs> but X-rated gives that kind of idea of it's something different. Yeah. So if you're choosing to come through that door, you're going to hear fucked up shit. Now, this happened at about the 35-minute mark of a set where I'd only made, already made fun of 9-11. I'd already made fun of cancer i'd already made fun of aids already made fun of many things that people would get upset with and these people stayed and liked it up to that point the second that they heckled me when they already just did a rant about don't heckle me yeah. and they're doing it to fuck with me i then flip it on them what kind of heckle was it i literally or, said I guess... at one point i said you know you don't control the show I control the show. Yeah. I'm not a dancing fucking monkey up here. Yeah. I control the show. And I literally go, hoo, hoo, hoo. I ain't doing that. 
So then the guy goes, do the monkey, do the monkey. So he's literally calling me on what I just said. Yeah, yeah he's challenging so he's you. He's challenging yeah. me. So then I said, okay, you know, this isn't a choose your own adventure story where I turn to page 57, I fuck your mother. It's not a great joke. It's a hacky <laughs> kind of line. I have to choose, you know, fuck your mother. It's a fuck your mother joke, but it's in the moment. You got to put him in his place. Like, put him in his place. Yeah. And then he got pissed off because I guess his mother was dead. Yeah. Like I knew. Yeah, like, you're not I a fucking care. psychic. Like I fucking care yeah. at that point. At that point, I'm like, if I knew his mother was dead, I would never have said that. But because yeah. I don't know and I don't have to know and shouldn't know, that's on him for heckling during an X-rated show. True. It's going to get fully. down to some base bullshit, you know, sucking dick joke probably. Yeah. That's what it was and that's what it is. And he didn't like it. And what happens with booze and men... They can't handle the word fight. They escalated to violence, and that's what happened. And then you see the video, and it's pretty awkward to watch. Well, and the cool thing was that apparently you still did like 13 minutes and yeah, closed the show. Stop. I didn't fucking stop the show. I could have. You know how many people would have walked off after that? Of course. That? Yeah. I was in pain. You know, what you don't know is I had about, you know, about the size of a grapefruit, like bruise Just on my welt, chest yeah. for about a week that I actually could feel it, and I was in pain. And you couldn't, like, take pictures or something and hold it against the club in some way? Well, you know, I don't know. That seems at the end like... of the day, the cl- this is kind of like an act of God. You can't foresee this happening. What I didn't like is they didn't escort him out. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's yeah, your argument right there. They should have escorted him out. And oh, this club is no longer around anymore. Yeah. But even up until the person who owned the club passed away, they still blamed me for taking it to that level because the words I used. And any comedy club that says the words that a comic uses is justification for violence are fucking cunts. Yeah, you should not be are justifying fucking cunts. putting your performers in danger like right. that. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I, I defend comics I don't like. I defend comics that I don't like what they talk about. Yeah. But when they're on stage, that's the freedom that I give them. Yeah. Uh, someone can dislike it and even heckle, which I don't agree with, but okay, that's in, within the realm. The second you take it to violence, we're done. No. It's supposed to be fun. Jesus right. Christ. Like, <laughs> right. No, there, that's just kind of also the culture we're living in right now, too, right? I mean, a comic of your nature must be kind of having extra bullshit thrown at you, given the type yes. of material you try to approach, you yes. know? Yes. And I, like, I give them a warning. Don't go to the haunted house and complain that the bad man scared you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we live in a world where on a phone you can look up clips of me. You can look up anything yeah, you do want. Do your fucking research. You can yeah. do a little bit of research. It takes 30 seconds. If you're expecting it to be Seinfeld with F-bombs, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. It's not for everyone. I'm always going to be a fringe comic. I'm never going to play to thousands. I get that. I'm in the twilight of my career. I just want to do a couple suck and fuck jokes to pay my rent and feed my kids. That's yeah. it now. No, no, that's fair. I mean, and it's not like you're trying to deceive people. If they did any sort of research, no. they would see it's very clear. Right. Uh, so I think that's part of that mentality that there is right now. It's like the people who want to come to shows and they're going there like trying to get offended or they're, or they're, they're looking. What well, what's the they point? They do research or they do research. They know they're not going to like it. They still come. They still pay. They still sit down. They don't like the show. And then they write a Yelp review. They're fucking pussies. Yeah. Find some other hobby that's going to make you feel good about yourself. You know what? Well, it's thing, like don't you have anything better to, to do? A band yeah. I don't like sitting in the front row and giving them the finger the whole show. Yeah. Who wins? The band. They get the fee. Yeah, exactly. You're still what buying the doing? ticket to do that. Yeah. And then you're ruining the show for all the other people that Which liked people it. People so. don't care about. No, of course not. I mean, there's got to be a limit, I suppose, at some point if you're like sacrificing goats or something. 100%. Like, you know, but, 100%. but what you're doing, that's an interesting thing that I took away from your material. I mean, like I said, I, I was aware of some of your stuff, but yeah. I, I dug a lot deeper mm-hmm. in research for this episode and I found that you 
of course, you're pushing the line, pushing the envelope. You have very dark, taboo sort yes. of humor. But there's this innocence you carry with yourself, in my 100%, 100%. opinion. Of course, that's just my opinion. But yeah. I never felt like you were being malicious just for the sake of being malicious. Right. It's very evident that it's in the it's in jest, you know? Right. And there was the, the one I watched. You had, like, a turning point where you literally, like, did a bunch of pretty racy shit. And then you asked the audience, like, we're going to do a vote. Do you yes. guys want to go yes, bananas here yeah. or do you want to stay kind of, you know, safer? And of course, everybody cheers. And then you proceed to tell a story about a baby getting fucked by a dog. To death. Yeah. To death. Um, yeah. To death. I should. Yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know, man. It's it's context. It's that's what we're lacking so much these days. What happens is I, I started doing his vote years ago because you can do some tester jokes to see what the crowd really wants. And then if you I do this so-called vote, because then I can do whatever I want. And if they don't like it, I'm like, look, you asked me to fall farther down the rabbit hole. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you you're somewhat culpable here. Yeah. yeah, you're culpable. And you made a decision to come to my show. You walked through a door that had a sign. I've now asked you how far you want it to go. How much more can I possibly give you for a rope <laughs> to hang yourself with? <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is alcohol. Yeah. People get drunk and they don't have the same ability to make decisions yeah. when they don't drink. So there's woo. And, and they, that's, yeah. Yeah, woo, yeah. And then three minutes in, a baby's, what? <laughs> And, you but know. it's weird because you told that joke. And again, I never felt like there was anything sinister about it. Like It's a news story. I can show you the link where everything I said is in a newspaper. See, I was hoping it was made up, honestly. It's not made up. Because <laughs> it's such Nothing, a fucked see, up story. That's the other problem. People come and see me. They hear fucked up shit. Mm. And they think I make stuff up to make it fucked up. Well, I wouldn't mind because some people can do that and it still and works it's and it's like, whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. It's an important factor in comedy. Yeah. But I could show you links where it's like everything I said is there. That's so much more horrifying. <laughs> and that's why it is horrifying. Yeah. And people get upset, but I'm like, I'm not doing anything that a newspaper hasn't already presented. Yeah. I just added the element of what I thought would happen after the story is over. Yeah. But the initial story is horrifying. And that bit, just so you understand, took 15 years. Of just perfecting it. Of perfecting it. 15 years. Hmm. The number of times a guy toured with Kenny Robinson told me, you got to drop that oh, bit. Great. It's not funny. That bit's not funny. Crowds don't like it. I'm like, Penny, Kenny, this is my Rubik's Cube. I'm fucking doing this bit. I'm going to figure out a way for this bit to work. It may take me a long time, but then once I got it and I've got it on some kind of DVD or special, I don't ever have to do it again. And I did it last night and it was okay. But that special that I recorded, all the things lined up and it's, it's a 7 out of 10. It's never going to be a 10 out of 10 bit, but I got it to a 7, and I was happy. You're happy with where it's at. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's it's oh, That's dedication, to say the least, because right. a lot of people, if, if something doesn't work, you know, 5, 10 times, they're going to cut the cord, but that's... Yay. If you're going to be in this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, in any facet of show business, you better learn how to do this for yourself. Yeah. Because in the end, you're not doing it for anyone else. You may think you are, but longevity, you're doing it for yourself. So that means I'm going to bomb, but I know but by bombing, I'm going to figure out ways to bob and weave to get that material to be good. Yeah. And then I get it to good, and then I can move on. That's what I like doing. I got into comedy for that reason, for turning my fucked up thoughts into an ability to make people laugh. And yeah, bring it into something positive. That's yeah. why I do it. And that's why even 30 years in, I'm still trying to remember that and keep to that path. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that, I mean... Any comic who bombs, they're going to get more of a sort of an armor, hopefully, unless they, they quit completely. But yes. if you get back at it. But by the nature of your type of material, I think that's even even more heightened because you're more likely to bomb in a lot of situations, so to speak, just yes. because of, you know, 
or you're riding the line of risk a lot, a lot higher. I have not performed in nine months for a reason. There's park shows, there's outdoor shows. My material is not appropriate for a park and most outdoor shows. If it's a backyard and it's contained, fine, too open. That's that's different. But for just people walking by to hear my material, (laughs) you know, there's other comics that think, "Hey, fuck it, it's freedom of speech." Mm. To me. And I have kids, and I have a family. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to scream cunt in the park at 9 p.m. or whatever. There's a family. Exactly. I think that's respectable. That family can leave. Yes, they can. But I also can be like, you know what? I'm going to choose the hills I want to die on here. Yeah, yeah. That's smart as fuck, too. And, and, you know, Yuck Yuck's dungeon-esque sort of uh, basement is perfect for your... Basement comedy club where people are paying a cover to see an adult show. Yeah. What else, what what more can I do to, you know, and the warnings and everything I say on stage. But then there's still people that get upset and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have their little reviews and get upset, protest, whatever. I've had it all. I've had death threats. I've been attacked, you know. Jesus. Uh, well, I was going to ask, how do you approach writing stuff that you know is going to be controversial, which is essentially a lot of, if not most of what you're approaching. But, right. Um, Especially with today being September 11th, I remember when we booked this interview, I was thinking, sure. here's this taboo comic, and we book an interview on September 11th. Right. And one of my questions was going to be, oh, have you ever done September 11th material? I saw Tons. some last night, like five minutes. Tons. And it was solid. It was not like belittling the tragedy. No. It was making fun of the fact that there's a gift shop in the freaking museum for right. 9-11. And, and right. it's like, oh, let's make money on this now. Right. You know? it's, it, what you're really... So the topic is 9-11. If you think there's nothing funny in there, then just don't come to my show. Yeah. Okay? The idea of 9-11 is horrible. Of course. But what the media has done with it and what marketing has done with it, there's lots of hypocrisy there. Yeah. And that's what you can make fun of. So whenever I approach any delicate topic or, or story, I either try to find, like you said, the innocence, who's the underdog, I try not to punch down. I have punched down from time to time. I'm not going to lie about it. But I try to find some kind of underdog analysis. Like when I go after the Catholic Church, I'm pretty merciless. <laughs> that was great too. And, I, you know, I was all on of, point. It was all like it made sense. You had right. valid fucking arguments. Right. Like, But, you know, people, they come to a comedy show, they don't want to hear about the Catholic Church. Well, I'm sorry. You know, you don't hire Metallica to sing Rita McNeil songs, and you don't hire Rita (laughs) McNeil to sing Metallica songs. I would love to hear both of those. Of course they would. I love them on the same stage, you know. They did Lady Gaga. Why not Rita McNeil? But my, my point is, I can only do what I do. Yeah. And I can only soften the blow so much. I'm not one of these comics that like to punk audiences or piss people off. But if you come to my show and get upset, and you try to stop the show from going on, then I get mad. Yeah. If you just didn't like it, you're like, oh, it's not for me, and just leave quietly, I'm down with that. You're not going to get your money back, but I'm okay with that. That's that's fine. Like, I go to a restaurant, I order a steak, and I find out I don't like steak. That's not the restaurant's fault. Yeah. I just don't eat steak again or don't go to that place again. Fair. But people now want their feelings to be heard and felt. And But someone would try to take the steak analogy, one of these people at your shows that's being offended and being like, I bit into my steak and there was a piece of glass. Like, right. you know what I mean? Right. But but I, I understand and I completely agree with you because I've even not necessarily specific to your comedy, but mm-hmm. just comedy in general. I've always felt that way. It's it's an art form, first of all, but it's also one of the last sort of refuges for, uh, you know, being able to speak your mind. And you take risks when you do that. You know, it's not like you don't fucking know. It's freedom, you know? Of, it's like, freedom of speech, but not freedom of consequence. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a big proponent for that. So even though comics get into trouble, my attitude, and I've been in trouble, 
and I have to suck it up. I've done things that I'm not proud of, and I've done jokes, and I listen to my DVDs, and I go, ooh, that's not good. And if someone calls me on it, I'll be like, you know what? You're right. I'm 49 now. I'm not 39. I'm not 29, and I've grown as a person. Yeah. If you want to hate me because of that, there's not much I can do about it. I don't agree with that joke anymore, or I probably could have done it a little bit differently, so I didn't say certain words. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like there's only so much repercussion I can have. To try to be a better human, a better comic. That's it. Yeah, we're all growing. We're all learning. Right. And that's the best you can really hope from someone. As long as they're they're making those adjustments and trying to better themselves, then, you know, and your comedy is obviously still going. And I think you've learned a lot of things along the way. And you probably wouldn't go down certain paths again. And what, What's really surprising is people are still, even though I put an X-rated sign, it's crazy. They still will come up to me and go, I didn't think it was that crazy. And I'm like, dude, I, I did six minutes on the Catholic church that I know very few comics that have gone that far. Yeah. They want you to shit on stage or something. Okay, right. People. And yeah. I'm like, I just did that nine 11 joke, which is pretty harsh. Yeah. And then I did an eight minute bit about a baby getting fucked to death by a dog. <laughs> yeah. That was I worse. don't know how much farther <laughs> I can go than that without, like you said, like something so shocking. Yeah. Taking a shit, sacrificing an animal, you know, that's just not me. You know, I think the great thing about comedy is, you can stamp your personality and what you want out there. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, what can I do? Yeah. Well, and things like the Catholic Church and 9-11, um, unless you're super, super directly affected, you're going to probably have a different view on those things. Like if you're someone that wasn't affected at all. And unfortunately, things that happen um, in a very public way that affects the whole world or, or mm -hmm. tons of people, it becomes sort of like public domain to a degree, especially after time passes. Like, right. you think anyone's going to give you shit if you do a Pearl Harbor joke now? You know right. what I mean? Right. So, like, where do you draw the line? When is right. I've heard people do John Benet Ramsey jokes. So that was only the 90s or whatever. You right. know, like, where? where When is it okay? But so. also, it's the idea that, you know, the Catholic Church is anti-Catholic Church. Okay? Those jokes are anti. So if you're yeah. even and assaulted, molesting. if you're molested by one, uh, yeah, you don't want to hear those topics, but when you listen to the bit, you know that I'm defending you. Of course, yeah. I'm defending what they did to you, people, and, yeah. I, and I'm ashamed that that happened for you. Of course, yeah. And you are the victim in this. Once again, the underdog that I'm defending in those bits. And, I mean, there's a lot of that, but people don't hear it. They are drunk, and they, you know, like... They I catch once, that one sentence. One sentence, they, one yeah, thing, 9-11, there's nothing funny about that. Well, yeah. I can't argue with you. You yeah. either agree or disagree, leave, you know? Yeah. I once did a show in, in Calgary... And I was actually, I'm one of the few Canadian comics that's very pro-Quebec in a lot of ways. Like a lot of comics like to get down on Quebec and that, and I'm not. I, I think it's great that they support their own and their own culture. And, you know, I wish I was fucking French. You know, Where, for, where do you live normally? If I, can I live in Ontario, but oh, I live so in Barrie. Okay. But my, for, you know, years and decades, I wish my parents fucked near Los Angeles so I'd have a green card. And then after 99 and after Trump, my attitude is I wish my parents fucked in Montreal so I could speak French. I really yeah. do. I, you know, I'm ashamed that I don't speak that language because I would love to perform there because they support their arts. Montreal's amazing. Montreal's amazing. Dude. They support their arts. And it's like the same thing with the Aboriginal community. They support their own. There's comics that you don't even know and heard of. They do very well and they're they're embraced by their community. And that's great. You know, but there's only so much you can do, you know, like to defend them. And then someone, so I'm doing a Calgary show. I'm pro-Quebec. And at the show, this French woman comes up and she's hammered. It's terrible what you said. It's terrible. What do you mean what I said? Oh, you made fun of the French. I said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I defended the French. I did. No, no, you didn't. And I said, no, no, I did. And that's when her friend grabbed her and is like, she's drunk. She's just yeah. no idea. Now, all the bit was simply this. I go, you know, we can make fun of, like, we can make fun of anything we want in Canada on stage. 
I can make fun of the French and you'll go fucking crazy. Anywhere else in Canada, Alberta, BC, if I make fun of the French, they go fucking nuts. Yeah, they're, it's like they're a punching bag. from it, yeah. But if there's a guy in the front row in a wheelchair and I make a wheelchair joke, you will freak the fuck out. You will freak the fuck out. Definitely but I'm most like, people but, would, yeah. But I'm like, what if the guy in the wheelchair is French? Good point. I, I don't know if he's French. Yeah. I, I didn't talk to him. He's not wearing a beret and eating a jambon sandwich. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know <laughs> if he's French. <laughs> With a baguette, yeah. Right? So my attitude is you make fun of everyone or you make fun of no one. Yeah. That's, Why is it okay to make fun of the French and not this? I've heard that argument before. I think it was from the guys who make South Park, where either everything is fair game or right. nothing is fair yes. game. And it's it's such a valid point. Because, yes. Because who plays the, the judge and jury of friggin' drawing the line here or there, you know? That's taste. Sure, and but that's subjective. That's subjective. Yeah. And what you like and I like is two different things. I don't go see 101 Dalmatians expecting a gangbang. And if and you, you don't do, go to see a gangbang expecting a, a, gang a heartwarming bang, Disney movie. Right. A bunch of puppies coming in. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be weird. You know, but all I'm saying is, you know, I can't account for your taste. It's your job to account for your taste and make sure it aligns. I can't do anything more about it. Yeah, well, people like to bring their own shit to shows and to events and whatever else. Uh, just events in life, honestly. You know, you get those situations in any occupation where people bring their personal shit and they wear it like a suit. Right. And then they expect everybody else to take it on as their problem. Right. And, you know, this is not how the freaking world works. <laughs> right. And, you know, I used to teach classes and stuff, like one-day seminars, and I would always tell young comics, I'm like, if you're going to do a set and there's a joke about something and that person's in the audience... Let's say I was going to do a little person joke or a joke about wheelchairs. Yeah. And as someone in the audience, if you don't do that joke, then you're doing that joke for the wrong reason. Yeah, if exactly. you will not yeah. do that joke in front of that group that you're making fun of. Your motivations are off. Then yeah. your motivations are off. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because that's... that means there's something about that joke you probably feel isn't right and yeah. you can be called on. That's true. Now, for me... So refine it. At that I'm not point, telling yeah. you, oh, there's someone in a wheelchair, I'm going to do my wheelchair joke. I'm telling you, if you had planned on doing a set and a sh these jokes, and you're changing it because of the audience, you're not doing the jokes for the right reasons. I've done all my wheelchair material in front of people in wheelchairs. They love it. They love the fact I don't coddle. They love the fact that it's not just making fun of their wheelchair. Yeah. There's a point of view outside of that. And well, it there's takes still them, people. They and, still have sense of humor. You know, right. like Case in point, we've had a... The third episode we ever did this show was a local comic. I don't know if you know him, Michael Lifshitz. Of course I know Michael. He's the greatest. And he's got one of, not only is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yes. But he's got a great sense of humor about his own situation. Yes. And, and it's to be commended, in my opinion. And he's dedicated. Because life is fucked. Everyone's going through fucked up shit. His arguably much more fucked up from a get-go than my, mine was, you know, like to be uh, dealing with those sort of challenges. Yeah. But... To be able to persevere and still laugh about it to me is the most beautiful thing ever. And it's something that should be, uh, you know. And it's unfortunately when he performs, it's the elephant in the room. That means he just has to discuss it for a second and then move on. Because everybody's going to be wondering. Yeah. People love him. He won the competition a couple of years ago. I'll tell you a story about Michael. And if you want to cut it out, that's fine. I did a, sh a tour with Greg Morton last year. who oh, uh, was the Star Wars noises. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a great comic. He's amazing, yeah. And uh, we did a big tour. And Michael came all the way from Ottawa to Barrie, which isn't easy for him being no. in a wheelchair. He had to arrange all these fucking different connections to get all the way to Barrie. He gets to the venue like three hours early because that's the only way people in wheelchairs can do shit. You can't ask for a half an hour because the way the cell is. I see him. I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm here to see Greg. I'm like, wait, you, you came all the way 
from Ottawa. Like he's playing. Oh, he's Cornwall. mad dedicated to comedy. He's both play, performing he plays and Cornwall watching. He plays Cornwall in yeah. a couple of days. You could have just taken it. He's like, no, this is the date I could make, and I'm I'm not gonna not do it. And I'm like, you know what, man? Any way I can help you, I gave him a free USB. I got him personal time with Greg. We got photos, nice, everything. Because nice. my attitude is, here's a guy in a fucking wheelchair making an effort. Yeah. And I know able-bodied comics that'll fucking just sit there and bitch and complain. That's too far. Oh, no. He's always positive. Right. I've never seen the dude in a bad mood. Right. Um, and I've told this story. I'll, I'll say it briefly. But just how uh, impressive of a dude he is or, or like the things that the assumptions you make about people in those kinds of situations yes. where we ran into each other at Loblaws in the parking lot at like, you know, late one night, actually. And we had a great conversation. And then we both we were parked sort of equally away from each other because mm-hmm. yeah, he does drive his own van with some sort of modified yeah. setup, yes. I'm assuming. And sure enough, like he fucking beats me to the light and makes it through and I don't. So right. I'm like, right. Disabled my ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, Michael's amazing. Um what was I going to say? Oh, in Montreal, I wanted to get back to, though, just because uh, I recently did a couple shows there, mm-hmm. uh, and it was like a rushing from one to the other thing. I, I got to open for Derek Sagan at the Nest, right. which yep. was the first time I've ever been there, and it was really cool. Mm-hmm. But then we did this outdoor show, uh, and that, to me, just showed how different Montreal is, because in Ottawa, we never would have been able to do that show. Right. It was 9.30 at night, arguably not that mm-hmm. late, but people have kids. People have shit they can bitch about and call 311 yes. or, or whatever bylaw is. And uh, out there, was it was the exact opposite. His neighbors, I don't know, maybe they know each other, but she was up on one of these little brownstone sort of fire escape mm-hmm. balconies, and they were all just watching along. Oh, what's your YouTube? You know, like, so I, I'm not saying Ottawa's not a great place in its own right, but as far as that artistic culture, Montreal really does have some sort of an extra aura about it, you know? Yeah, I mean... Explains Ottawa, just for laughs. <laughs> Ottawa is a piece of white bread, and, you know, Montreal is the best nice falafel you ever had. Yeah, yeah, that's actually better, yeah. You know, because, like, I love Montreal. I don't play there anymore for political reasons and politics and show business, and so we may get to that, but okay, sure. I, I don't play it anymore, but I love Montreal because it is still a very European town. People go out, like you said, they find ways for their kids to be so they still can go out. It's still a culture really built on that. There's still that kind of European flavor to it Definitely. that they still go out. In Ottawa, you're always fighting. It's a government town it's tough to go out only yeah. young people go out and that and that's kind of what's been bred into this town it there is some truth to that yeah whereas every time i played montreal it was been great i've definitely been to concerts uh in ottawa at in, you know in my teen years or whatever and been like why am i the only one standing right yeah <laughs> it's like a chili pepper yes. concert with funky bass lines yeah you, why are we not dancing to this <laughs> yeah exactly so and if you went to montreal the whole front row would be fucking each other <laughs> You know, that's yeah, the difference. And exactly. people would be all right with it. No one would call the cops and say, yeah, they're fucking, but I'm watching the band. Yeah. You know, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Well, the one thing I would say about Montreal I don't like, though, is the goddamn highways. Well, um, I mean, they're We walked apart. home from, from one of this show after, and, and it took us, like, way longer than it should have to get mm. point A to point B because we had to go under uh, an overpass, and mm. there was no... You know, like in Ottawa, it's kind of a grid system. You yes. get around, you can cut the corner here, there, or whatever. But Montreal, I found, is not like that at all. Well, I think that's due to how old Montreal is yeah, versus Ottawa. Yeah, they keep building, yeah. And it's building in a certain way. And also, you've got the mob problem, who took a lot of the the, the restructuring money and yeah, yeah. didn't do the job. So yeah. you have that issue. It's going to cut then, a couple corners. Yeah, and then there's the whole Montreal where they're like, yeah, the roads are shit, but, you know, we have uh, beautiful women and we can smoke indoors. Yeah, it adds character. Yeah, it yeah. adds character, you know. It, they just... <laughs> They put emphasis on different things, you know, and, and cool. I wish parts of other parts of Canada would kind of look at that and not be like, oh, they're just friends. It's like there's certain things here we can take 
away from it. Oh yeah, and, I love and really that. use it to our all of our advantages. But it's too divisive, you know. Like Alberta will be like anti Quebec, and Quebec's like, oh fuck those rednecks, you know. It's just well, doesn't part of the the West want to like join the states or something? Well, yeah, I mean they've talked That's about ridiculous. that for years. I mean, I guess it makes sense with the cowboy connection from. Uh, you know, Calgary and Texas. Well, it made sense with a lot because Alberta felt with the oil money and all that stuff that they're really supporting more of the country than they're getting in return. And I don't know enough about that argument if it's true or not, but that's kind of what it was built on. Yeah. I mean, I've never been out there, so I'm that naive Ontarian that I see the cowboy hats and I can't help but think that's a little more of the stereotypical American, you know? Well, yeah. I see a dude in a cowboy hat riding a a bull or whatever. Of course, because that's been inbred to you from every movie you watch since you were 12 years old. Yeah, I'm from white bread town, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I want to talk about your your roots a bit then. We'll, Mm -hmm. We'll go back in time here. So 92, you start out. Yes. But it sounds like around 96, you had that big shift where you decided to sort of switch your approach so, yeah. so we'll, and change your styling. So, so I that. actually started in around 1990, 91, but I didn't really start getting serious about doing sets till 92. Okay. Um, so uh, what happened is I started out as a very happy-go-lucky, funny, kind of wacky comic. And I was heavily influenced by Emo Phillips at the time and oh, yeah. Sam Kinison and Woody Allen. That's a three-pack to try to wrap your head around. And then by 96, I started getting tired of being trapped inside so much of a character. And uh, literally, there's only so many times you can go out west and be called the F word, faggot. That's, oh. They would literally yell that at me. Yeah. I don't Not like that cool. word. No, I, do I've I. never used it, but I have to tell you, that's what they would yell at you of because course, yeah. of the way I'm dressed. Again, and, context. Right. And <laughs> my attitude is like, I don't dress for dudes. You know, I would say that on stage and all the women would cheer because the women love the crazy outfits and, you know, it's colorful, but every dude would be like, oh, it sucks. You know, it's an idiot. You look yeah. an idiot. And in 96, I got tired because the problem is when you're in a character and you're killing, it's great. When you're in a character and you're bombing, it sucks because there's nowhere to go. You're trapped in in that character, yeah. You're in a funny outfit. You had crazy pants or something. Crazy pants, crazy t-shirt, wacky, plaid. Zany. Right. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. You can't step out of that character and go, excuse me, fuck face. You can't. Because they're not going to take it serious. Yeah. It's like if they smell fear, they're not going to take it serious. So I started kind of, you know, flipping in 96 to be more what I was and how I kind of act off stage, more heightened version. And, uh, you know, I had to shit can a whole bunch of material. And, you know, I'm not bragging, but that material killed. Like I I was burying headliners all the time. Oh, nice. And uh, But it wasn't cr- like scratching your personal itch that you wanted. Right. Yeah. And I also believed in... You know, even at that young age, I believed in a longevity, meaning I didn't want to be telling the same jokes at 31 that I was at 21. That's a good goal to have. Right? So my attitude is like, this funny pants shit can only last so long. Yeah. And it's it a bit did. of a shtick for sure. Right. Yeah. And I ran with it and I, you know, I did well, but it's not creative. It didn't fulfill me artistically. And it wasn't doing what I wanted to do in the end. So I switched over and I didn't do well in the beginning. It took a lot of learning and, you know, doing some of the old material as an angrier version and kind of getting rid of material as I wrote new material. And then around 97, 98, I had a kind of full on new style of what I would do. And that's kind of been that way since. What, um, this is just something I thought of now, but what was like the first joke you performed on stage that you considered taking it to like that upper echelon of just, you know, rowdiness or whatever you want to call it, you know, next level offensive or whatever. Sort of your metamorphosis was complete, you know? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question, but... It's hard, I guess. It was it, a while it's ago, very, you know? very hard. And this is another reason why every comedian should do record their act. Because, like, I listen to stuff now, like on my d- DVDs and album releases, I have no memory of writing those jokes. Wow. 
And I'm like, well, that's a pretty good joke that I wrote there. I'm surprised I wrote that joke. Yeah. Uh, so my memory isn't the greatest. I will tell you that the moment that it really turned for me is when I had my first boy and he had severe heart problems. He had oh. open heart surgery within two or three months of him being born. Oh, no. A lot of medical problems. And in the 2005 Nasty Show at Just for Laughs, um, I had a, a couple bits that they censored me on. They took me outside. They said, you can't do these bits anymore. It's too much for the nasty show. And the, and of <laughs> course, a bit it of wasn't a ridiculous statement. Ridiculous. Yeah. One of the reasons I don't play there anymore. But um, one of the bits was about my son and I was proud of it. Like it took me a long time to tell this story about one of my health problems with my son. Yeah. It was edgy. It was harsh, but it was on the right side yeah. of where I was supposed to be. And that's the first time I realized, fuck everyone else, including the industry. I'm going to do the jokes that I want to do. Well, you're being and extremely vulnerable at that point. It was you know? very, I'm, yeah, it was. So for them to just write it off seems super offensive. And to you know, you. like it was a great joke. It really was. And when I tell the joke now to people in cars, because they're like, well, you know, tell me these three jokes that you got banned for. Yeah. They're like, that joke's hilarious. Why would can, they? Can you indulge us or no? No, I don't want to go. Uh, okay, okay. I don't want to go into it. Because to be honest, I couldn't really remember it, all the bits attached to it. So it would be kind of like, you know, it would be pretty good, but not as great as it was back then. with the proper segues and right. stuff. Yeah, okay. And, but, you know, you're surprised at what the jokes they do leave in. You know, like what I had a joke about it was my 80, my grandmother's 85th birthday. We didn't know how old she was until we count the rings around her cunt. <laughs> okay? I'm not proud of that joke. It's a very easy joke. It's yeah. a nasty joke. Like that's exactly. That's not. It's, I could never tell that joke on stage, but it's it still. I couldn't not laugh right there. But but you know? my point is, I'm not going to fight you over that. If you tell me to replace that joke, I'm like, yeah, okay, because I'm not even that proud. Sometimes you have to do jokes to wake audiences up and to show them how shocking it can be, and you have an agenda. That's what that joke is for. It's a little bit of this. Now I can do what I want to jolt them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the bit about my kid is what I wanted to do. And they said no. And that's when I did a fork in the road of like, I'm, I'm done with the industry to a certain extent. And I'm also lucky that I do other things in the industry outside of comedy that pays yeah. my rent. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. Definitely. But that's when I made that decision. I'm like, I'm not a dancing monkey. And I'm when they start, you know, micromanaging and right. picking and choosing. So it just seems... so you understand, I submitted a tape, a 15 minute set. And the three bits that they asked me not to do were in that tape. That's they, bullshit. They right watched there. the tape. They said the tape is great. So that means they didn't watch the tape then, or they or they or skimmed it they or something. changed their mind, whatever. Yeah, I guess. And then they pulled me outside, in front of Doug Stanhope. How do you change your mind on three though? If it was one, I'd say yeah, right. That sounds valid, but right. That sounds to me like someone not doing their job and being like, right. yeah, yeah, we know he's good. Right. He's got a good rep. Right. Or whatever, you know, and then they just push you through. You know, and their attitude and is like, them. get rid of these three jokes. And I'm like, these aren't three small grandma cunt jokes. Yeah. These are bits. So if I'm doing 15 minutes and I get rid of those three bits, I'm down to seven, eight minutes now. Yeah, exactly. And their answer was like, oh, you can just do seven minutes. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Let me explain something. I've worked fucking really hard to get to this place. Yeah. Because I'm the first comic in this country. Mike Wilmot is dirty and amazing, but he's a dirty comic. He's not an edgy, cunty, asshole comic like I am. I've worked really hard to get all this to work for an average crowd. Yeah. And now you're asking me to take all that hard work and shit can it and do half the time when I've earned my fucking spot? Fuck you. Yeah, that's just bad business. Right. Yeah. 
And, you know, the followed from that is they eventually apologized months later and they said they'd make it up to me and they never did. Mm. But that's show business, whatever. But that's when I realized for no festival past that point am I dancing like a monkey. You either take it or you leave it. Yeah, well, I think that's a fair argument. I mean, you can throw whatever analogy like you did with the steak or whatever, but the base of it is kind of like if someone is advertising themselves as a certain way and you accept or even encourage them to come be a part of your thing and then they perform the way that they advertised, what's wrong with you? Like, you See, know, my problem in my career, I've said it hundreds of times. What happens is people will tell me where the line is. A booker, a festival person, they'll tell me where the line is. I will go to that line, but I will not cross it. But then they get upset that they put the line here and they didn't put the line over here. Mm. But that's not on me. No, not at all. That's on them. But do you think they're going to blame themselves? No, they're going to be pissed off because someone complained or whatever. Yeah. I rest my case. That's bananas. I don't know. I don't know how you deal with it. But that's, that's why I've had to you know, be a bit of a rogue, you know, do my own DVDs and sell them after shows because the ceiling is a certain way. Oh, yeah, you're a machine. That's one thing I was going to point out when you brought up JFL 2005. You did 22 shows, which was a record. And that, that year what is that, I in like a week or a weekend? Or in like, it's like five days or six seven days. days or okay, it's like a week, yeah. But still, that's a shit ton of shows. Yeah, and <laughs> I never returned. Well, at least you left your mark. <laughs> You know, Epic dropped the And then, you know, the story is a couple years later when, uh, you know, my agent contacts them. Their attitude was like, well, you know, our our idea is Darren didn't do that well. Well, let's also talk about something. I'm a cunt, okay, but I'm a (laughs) cunt that always backs shit up. Fair. I have evidence. I have every single set I did that night and that week, those nasty show tapes, I have them. That's yeah. You can speak. I can to what play you're saying. them. Yeah, I can meet any time. Back then, now I don't know where they are. But for a good ten years, I had them. Cover and your I'm ass. like, let's watch the tapes. That's the smart. You tell me I suck. I still have people to this day come up to me and go, "We saw you at the nasty show. You had the nastiest stuff of anyone." And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. The goal, yeah. That's the goal. Do I think I was the nastiest one on that show? Probably not. But for that person, I was. You know, that lineup was Doug Stanhope, Jim Jeffries, first North American appearance, um, myself, Otto and George. Any of your fans should go and look up Otto and George, the dirtiest puppet show ever. Amazing. Cool. He's passed away, but there's lots of stuff on YouTube. Otto and George. Oh, Otto and George. O-T-T-O and George. Fucking amazing. And Bobby Slayton hosting. The band that was there, because they always have a live band, they literally said, this is the nastiest show that they had ever ever seen. Ever been a part of. Oh, man. That's because pound for pound, there that's a lot of fucked up shit. Is that show on film somewhere? No. No, that sucks. Lost no. to the ages. Yep. Damn, man. I mean, I have some tapes, but... It's funny, when you say Emo Phillip, uh, Phillips, I can't not think of him instantly in that movie UHF. Yeah. Like, sawing all his fingers off. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't seen UHF. Yeah. I gotta show my kids that movie, man. That's one it's of It's a great classics. movie. Weird Al Yankovic is finally getting the respect he's deserved oh, God. for he's 30 a legend. years. He's a legend. And Weird Al is like, uh, you know, what, 60-something now? And yeah. he still pretty much looks the same for the yes. last 20 years. Yeah. I don't know if he's had work done. Doesn't look like it. Right. Um, but he's just such a nice person, man. Yes. And I read online the most messed up shit that both his parents died randomly in a carbon yes. monoxide poisoning thing. Yep. And he's still out there trying to make people laugh. So man, God no, bless Weird Al. Team, I met you know? Weird Al like decades ago, like 
during a comedy festival, and you know he was it was around that UHF kind of wacky time. Yeah. So he was with a bunch of people, so he's kind of acting wacky. He was I get it. I just wanted to say, hey man, I think you're great. I probably was the 87th person to say it to him that day, so there was no connection. Yeah. But I just I think that he is such an example of what comedy should be, because I can't do that. But that doesn't mean I can't respect it. Like, I love Brian Regan because it's not, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, Brent Budd is great. I don't do that. They're very clean. Yeah. They're very clean. But that doesn't mean I don't or like George clean Wallace, comedy. man. I always say when people want to see some clean comedy, George Wallace is George amazing. Wallace is great. Jeff Foxworthy is great. Yeah. You I know, mean, he's other a than the redneck liking, shit, which yeah. I'm not a huge fan of. But even if you listen to non, not that stuff, I used to call him the white Bill Cosby pre rape. <laughs> um, because he was that good at storytelling. Yeah. He got successful and famous on this thing, you know, the redneck thing, but he was a better comic than that. Yeah. All these clean comics that are just amazing. I'm like, I don't do that. I love it. You still I love respect watching it. Yeah. it. I can respect it. You know, people always go, is clean comedy better than dirty comedy? And isn't dirty comedy easier? I always say the same thing. Neither is easy if you want to do it well. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to look at comedy in a broad perspective, you can find great examples of tons of different styles. Yes. And they all are impressive if they're done correctly, you know, like prop comedy. Or I always find uh, one-line comedians like Mitch Hedberg or um, Stephen Wright. One-liner comedy to me, it's... So I always divide comics into wordsmiths and non-wordsmiths. So I'm a non-wordsmith. What that means is every single word doesn't count. When I do jokes. More free flow kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to edit to make sure it's not too wordy, but I'm not sitting there going, is this word right? And that word, if you're a one-liner comic, that's your whole world Hmm. because you just want to get it down to is, does every word count towards the funny or take away from the funny? So if you love one-liner comedy, you definitely got to look up Stuart Francis. I don't know if you know Stuart Francis. Never heard of him, no. He's one of the world's best one-liner comics. He uh, is Canadian. Nice. I'll check was, it out. Was yeah. world class. Nobody in Canada gave a fuck. He moved over to England. He was ended up being Ricky Gervais's opening act, and then he plays theaters. Wow. And now he's retired because he did a big theater tour, and he was just kind of like, I'm done with it. He's sitting pretty but now, Stuart yeah. Francis is just as good as those other two comics you said. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I like I said, I've already got such a massive respect for that version of, of yeah. doing comedy. Once again, I, I don't do it. I've written a couple one-liners, you know, that are funny and, and stuff, but... Well, you said two things, and now I'm not sure where to go here, because part of me wants to... We'll get to the voice stuff after, because I do want to sure. touch on that. Um, actually, no, let's just do that now, because I forgot the other thing. So okay. I, I wanted to talk to you about that, because um, I know... I was kind of taken aback when I saw that not only were you working on kids shows as a mm-hmm. voice actor, mm-hmm. but a lot of time like preschool age stuff, Yes, which is, you know, power to you. But yes. I, I wanted to ask, was there ever sort of conflict of interest episodes where you had a parent who found out what you did kind no. of in your dual no, life? No, never. So far, not wow. yet, but who knows? It could come. Uh, okay. Well, then let's follow up. Then my follow-up question would be more um, as a parent myself. I was wondering when you do such edgy material, mm-hmm. uh, is that... Has that ever worried you that maybe you're going to send the wrong message or, or, you know, that they might not get that needed context? Right. So I have three children. Okay. I have a, um, a 17 year old, a 12 year old, a 13 year old and a 10 year old. Okay. So I have to even consider this just within my own life of what I'm putting out there. And my attitude is, is there's adult things and there's children things. And if someone wants to go search for something, they're always going to find it. Are young children ever going to search for it? Probably not. Because what they have to do is they have to look up their favorite show. They have to look up their favorite character. They have to find my name. They have to put my name in Google and then find something dirty. Or something. Yeah. 
the chain there for young people, like little kids, it's just not going to happen. Not going to happen, no. But if you're a dad and you do that, yeah, it might happen. Are you going to tell your kids that this character says cunt on stage? That's your business, not mine. Or I just like, have you ever been even uh, sort of felt indirectly judged at like a a, P- a parent-teacher meeting or like a PTA meeting? Or no, something? it's never happened. No one's ever made that connection except one time. One time I was dropping my kids off at school and this is when, this is literally probably, so my oldest was about seven or eight and I had another kid that was five. So two kids at the school and there was a, a, a grandmother there who I talked to every day, really nice person. She dropped her grandkids off every day and somehow she found out I was a stand-up comic. And up to that point, we were great. We'd talk about her kids and everything's great. <laughs> no, and all she won't that. make eye contact. And then she watched a clip. And it's not that she wouldn't make eye contact. She would still say hi, but it really did change. The tone was just totally The tone shifted. was different. Oh, that sucks. But, you know, like, that's fine. That happened. If it only happened once, then there yeah, you go. Yeah, I mean, and even bad. if it happened all the time, that's fine. I've chosen. That's the reality you live in, yeah. I've chosen to do this. I've actually lost more money doing the kind of comedy I do than I've made. That's dedication to your craft, man. So you have to make a decision a long time ago. Am I chasing money? I need money. I got to pay my rent. I'm not an idiot. But am I going to chase money or is it not going to be the biggest factor in what I do? Yeah. And I chose for it to not be the biggest factor. I still factor. As long as you're paying the bills. I still got to pay my rent. I've never lived for I want to be a superstar. If I can live a lower middle class life with the amount of free time I have to see my kids and be a good husband and stay married and not have to tour all the time, that was more important for me. Sounds like the right choice. Well, in the long it's, run, it's it is. In your opinion, 20s, you don't yeah. think that way. I'm 49. I'm glad I made that choice and I yeah. made the right choice. I'm sure you will be when you're 79. Right. Too. Yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah. So you've done lots of voice work in, uh, you know, uh, I recognize some of these shows that my kids watch, like yes. George Shrinks. and. Uh, so that was just a one-off. I did one okay. episode. Okay. Timothy Goes to School. Timothy Goes to School. That Bay was Blade a huge and, one. And, uh, are you uh, in Bakugan? Bakugan, or? Yeah. I played a couple bad guys throughout that. And then the recent Bakugan, I play a character called Cubbo. So it's out there right now. Um, is that sweet work? I've always wanted to do voiceover work. Voiceover like, is the best work in show business. Do it at home? Or do you send it? Right now it? I do, yeah. Yeah, you send it in. Hmm. Yeah, like I have a system, not like this, but I have two different microphones. I have a shield. I have a little studio. I have That's a laptop awesome. and a interface and i do it myself so you get you're with actor or something like yeah. that or? Yeah. okay cool yeah i haven't taken the plunge i yeah. want to we haven't gotten any representation but that's kind of the next step i'm aiming towards is ottawa's you know. got a i mean i don't know what it's like since covid but ottawa's always had a strong animation base i mean they have that animation yeah. and jump. someone else asked me from ottawa what should i do and i told them go like and volunteer at that festival yeah and then get to know who are making Mingle, cartoons yeah. And then maybe do a couple non-union cartoons because that's how it works. You got to get a reel together and get some work. And then eventually you get in. That's one of the ways you get in. I love cartoons because once, first of all, it hasn't bled over to me being the devil comic. They do see it as apples and oranges so far. Nice. Which I'm happy about. And I have three voices, maybe three or four voices that I do. The average cartoon person has like a a repertoire of 20 or 30. Yeah, like Hank Azaria or somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're the leads in all these big shows. And what I'm good at is these two or three characters that are are characters that always show up in cartoons on a regular basis, but the big guns aren't going after those voices. Yeah. So there's a little bit of fat left on that bone that I'm taking, and I'm happy to take it. Why not? Yeah. Because, you know, what kind of voices are they? I always play play the the bully, the angry guy, uh, or the kind of nerdy guy, 
or the kind of timid guy. Those are the four voices. Do you do a lot of modification to your voice or do you just Sometimes, kinda... but sometimes it's very much in my kind of wheelhouse. I just kind of, I honestly want to hear like your weirdest voice. So, or... you know, I do a show right now called Ranger Rob. It's it's only second like Paw Patrol and oh, like nice. North America. It's Damn. huge. Yeah. And I play a Yeti, a white Yeti. And my voice is just a little higher pitched like this. That's what my voice is. <laughs> that sounds like a cartoon. And that's a cartoon. And then yeah. I, for, ba- uh, for Bakugan, it was much more, hey, 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 you're going down, man. You know, yeah, like that's very bullyish. So it's yeah. different, and you know, the bully's like, Yeah, you're an idiot, you know, that kind of stuff. Nelson Muntz, kind of, a, yeah, 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 exactly. Right on, and you know, as long as it keeps paying my rent, I'll keep doing it. A lot of other shit I want to ask you yeah. about. Uh, once I, w- I wanted to touch on your commercial work because I recognized a lot of them from yes. the late 90s, early 2000s yes. when I was kind of in high school. Yes. Um, one, I, I think my dad would remember. You remember the there was a Molson commercial where they played that song, Ring My Bell. Yeah, Possibly. so he was in yep. that. I don't yep. know. I saw a still, and it was like yep. nostalgia Boom. flashback. Oh, yeah. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, so I was the Listerine, the Listerine bottle. Yeah, that's yep. the one I wanted to talk to you about. The yep. Listerine dude, Dad. He was like the, the superhero. The giant Listerine bottle. With a cape, and he wore the big bottle and all that. And yep. you uh, you had a like an action figure made of you? They made a bobblehead of me, yeah. That's super cool. Do you have yep. that at your place? I'm no, guessing? they would not give me one. What? Yeah. That's brutal. I know. Why? There was like limited quantity or something? I have no idea. You ask for it, they either get it to you or they don't. That's a dick move. What happened there? So the exact opposite to the cartoon world is the commercial world. So it is important that I don't go on stage and scream cunt in the commercial world. Because what will happen Canadian is someone... Canadian Tire is not going to be too fun. Well, you know, yeah. dear yeah. Pfizer, your mascot called me a cunt. It's going to happen. Yeah. You know, or he said this horrible joke about 9-11. It's going to happen. So we live in a world where it's people's jobs to Google names. So what happened is I did like 40 commercials in like three years. And this is before Google was massive, right? Okay. And then it started catching up to me. They started going, well, we're not that happy that you're doing this stand-up thing. And my agent called me at the time. I have a different one now. But at the time, and they're like, you know, have you thought about maybe not doing? I said, listen, let's get one thing clear. Everything I do funds my ability to do stand-up comedy. That's your... That's it. Utmost. Okay? That doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. I don't have fun with it. I don't respect it. And I appreciate it. Yeah. But everything I do funds my ability to do this. But when people start recognizing you, I get where people would maybe have some apprehensions. Right. So if they don't like it, I just don't have to do commercials anymore. And that's pretty much what happened. Draw your line in the sand, yeah. And... Also, what happened is this one commercial, they wanted me to close my website down and do all this stuff, and it was a $3,000 commercial. Now, don't get me wrong. $3,000 is a lot of money. Some good coin, yeah. Good coin. But the shit kicks something I've worked for 20 years on. Yeah, shutting down your website. That's bullshit. And everything like that. For a little gig for $3,000 where it's only going to air for 13 weeks. I'm only in it for two seconds. You might not even recognize me. Yeah. Like, this is with me, and once again... I have to make a decision. I'm not willing to shut this down. Yeah. You couldn't have uh, sort of haggled with them and said, I'll, I'll suspend it until the, the airing stop no. or no. No, because to me, once you start giving They'll an inch. They'll just find another guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because enough. you know what? At the end of the day, a tie goes to the person who doesn't do what I do. Mm. And they'll find someone. You know, I'm pretty good. I'm not amazing. 
they'll find another pretty good guy. Yeah. It's just there's so many people out there that are willing to do it. And most commercial actors, you ever talk to them in the beginning, it's great. You get used to the money and that. And then you start realizing you don't get treated that well on set. And they start treating you kind of not the greatest and shitty. And then you start going, you know what? The money's not worth it. And then you start going, I'm going to say something about it. And then when you're treated shitty and you say something, they're like, you're hard to work with. So yeah. this all this timeline was actually happening at the same time. Get that reputation. So I was like, you know what? Why fight this? Just... I had a good run, find some other fat guy. And they did. <laughs> um, shit, man. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Well, but I mean, at least I was you, in you the last Seinfeld, your... the last Seinfeld episode. I was the giant bell dime. Oh, shit. Which aired right across Canada. Like, Damn, you know, nice. Probably that was the, my most famous one because it aired during the last And not Seinfeld. everyone loved the finale, but. Right. It was but a little bit of controversial it, as far as. Yeah, yeah, it. for sure. It was massive. They did it on the Times Square gigantic TV yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, well, I wanted actually you touched on the website because I wanted to tell people to just go check out your website. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like you're that active on it, but the stuff that's on there is gold. Like, yeah, every I mean, little... I got to get better. Yeah, no, but I I actually appreciate your attention to detail because you you show every commercial you were in. Yeah, sure, that's one thing, but you write this hilarious blurb yeah. for each one that literally I was laughing my ass off by myself. And you know what? It's funny because you know I keep going to my website. I I barely add much to it, and then I'll just get off track and I'll look at something. And I'm like. This is a pretty funny breakdown funny. of all the commercials. Really and I'm like, I don't too. remember writing this. I can see it's in my style, but I'm like, this is some pretty funny shit. And my blog is pretty funny, and I hold, I pull no punches. Like, Well, and I wanted to get to the uh, the stand-up section where you actually list, like, your 10 worst stand-up games. Yes, games. yes, um, just yes. That like, needs updating, but yeah. I'll, I'll paraphrase the bit here, but it's basically like, you know, band banned yes uh this is the first one where some lady said she was going to stab me and she definitely meant it yes this is the first one where i was threatened to kill myself and people cheered yes <laughs> i've threatened to kill myself many and times so on forth. stage you yeah. know what i mean it was it was quite the laugh but then you actually did a write-up on on the first one the niagara gig and yes. if you can please just tell that story now in some sure. capacity i would i would sure. really appreciate so niagara college uh obviously in the niagara area niagara lake it was a weekly gig and it was on a wednesday night and not to get too inside the business but a gig on a wednesday night's important because it's a night you normally don't work so you're like oh great it doesn't affect my weekend Extra this is cash. an important gig yeah, yeah. you don't want to fuck this gig up no matter what kind of artist you are you kind of take this thing where it's like you don't want to do anything to fuck it up so you go to this gig you just want to try to keep the gig you know, um, at the time, uh, this was a very rowdy college. They would get them all to stand up and sing O Canada before the show and get them all riled up and then sit down and, okay, have focus. Not a good idea. I was going to so, say, singing O Canada is not rowdy. Not a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, the guy who booked it was a super cool guy and he treated the comics like gold. So people still were willing to put up with some things and still think it was a fun gig. So I was on stage and this team of rugby players was at the back and they were heckling me now not to get too much into the story i know we have a little bit of time but i don't know if you have enough time oh of course yeah. i had taken the gig as a favor because the headliner um didn't have a ride and i would normally headline this gig but the agent called me will you do me a favor nobody else will work with this guy because he's not well liked will you drive him and at that time i had no problem with the guy will you do me a favor just do this gig will you open for him Normally, I wouldn't at this time open, but I'm like, you know what? Fine. It's Wednesday. I'm not working. Like I said, fine. So we go there. This guy loves this gig. It's his favorite gig because he's on the road and he's got a Wednesday night and they give him a free bar. He's fucking loving it. So I know this gig's important to to him. (laughs) I know this gig's important to him. So I really don't want to fuck this up. As much as I love to be like, ah, the devil. There's sometimes I don't want to fuck it up. I get on stage. 
This crowd is fucking shit. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm opening. And I'm like, I'm trying my best to get through this. And they won't shut up. They just keep heckling me. And I'm like, you know what? Just shut up. I try to do another joke. Heckle. Dude, I'm warning you. Just chirping you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I've been nice so far. You have no idea what I normally do. And this is another problem with crowds. They have no idea the jokes I'm not doing. Fuck you. Fuck me. Listen to me, buddy. You keep talking. I'm going to take all my clothes off. I'm going to jump off this stage. I'm going to jump on you and I'm going to rub my ass all over you. (laughs) Okay? And he goes, you don't have the balls. I go, I don't have the balls. Now you're going to fucking see the balls. And I dink, 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 dink. The crowd's like, what the fuck's going on? I take every piece of my clothing off. I cut my bag. I dove (laughs) off the stage. I dove off the stage. And it's plastic chairs and tables. They part like the Red Sea. (laughs) <laughs> kids are screaming ah! okay I'm surprised they get arrested because I'm naked yeah. I run to the table the guy whipping off runs out the back like a, like a screaming little girl ah! like this and this other guy sitting there going you're a fucking idiot to me I'm a fucking idiot you're a fucking idiot so I jump up on his shoulder and rub my ass <laughs> oh I grind my asshole into a shirt oh so gross and now he's like get me off dude get off dude get off dude like this and I get off and I go back on stage <laughs> And I just I'm cut my bag. I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm making 200 fucking dollars for this. Hey, pay me 800. I'm a comedy whore. I'll fucking play along. But for $200, you don't treat daddy like this. Fuck you, kids. So I've got this microphone. I'm looking around. I'm not saying anything. And I go, uh, how many people want me to put my clothes back on? Yes. Put your clothes back on. Yes. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not putting my clothes back on. So I do the rest of my set naked. Jesus. How long Just was that? Around. I had another like ten, eight minutes maybe. Oh my God. And then Just at around the six time. minutes, I start dressing myself. And for the last line, I'm like, eh. And there's just silence. Wait, so the last line you uncupped and went? No, yeah. no. Like my last line, I'm dressed. And the last line I just say. Oh, you put it. Okay. I got back dressed. Do the last line. Silence. I'm like, okay, listen. Now, I'm sure the headliner is not happy about this, but it's a shitty crowd. I go, listen. And I gave this guy the best fucking intro. I've given it in 30 years of comedy. I said, look, I fucking hate you kids. But I just spent 90 minutes in a car with your headliner. And he told me over and over again that this is his favorite college in all of Canada. Oh, so you set it back up at least. Okay. And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. He literally said he won't come out here unless he gets Niagara College, which he did tell me. He really likes playing this club or this college. And I'm like, so you can fucking hate me. But this guy wants to perform for you fucking people. So give him some respect. See, this is what I mean. I knew you had like a, a soft, melty inner core. Well, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm not you here to fuck it. it up. No, you're not a bad dude. It's very but, obvious you know, if you watch So he gets a big cheer and he goes on. And he does well. He doesn't bomb. He doesn't kill, but he was never going to kill. I've done it enough at this point to know this crowd was never, he was never yeah, going to kill. you say it was like the worst club in Canada or something? Or the worst place to perform? One it of? was shitty. It was shitty. Yeah. And this night was shitty. And I know it was shitty. And he did really well. And then on the ride home, he was like, oh man, that was like some fucking Andy Kaufman shit. I'm like, no, 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 it wasn't. I don't think you know who Andy Kaufman is. He wouldn't have gotten naked. <laughs> yeah. He's gotten it wrong. But anyways, you know, and then... The shit hit the fan. The shit hit the fan. Like the next the Monday morning or or no, the Thursday morning. Just fucking emails and 
you, you fucked up this gig and all and this. Emails and, in 99 were pretty yeah, serious. Yeah, and phone <laughs> calls from agents and you just, you fucked this gig up. And yeah. I'm like, look, this is what happened. Don't want to pay me, don't pay me. I'm pretty sure they paid me. And I was banned. And then um, I've been banned from Brock University. I went to Brock. <laughs> and they fucking banned me. You're alumni? That's hilarious. I'm alumni. Oh, and they man. fucking That's banned cold. me. Because I'll tell you why. Another good story. You can edit out if you want to. No, no. I'm I'm also but opening. Dude, I'm not going to edit out the first 40 cunts. So yeah. We're not stopping here. I, I'm opening for a friend of mine at Brock. I'm a Brock graduate. This is only in the first five or six years of my career. You think, hey, go to the Brock paper. There's a paper. Brock kid does good, right? Yeah. Not a fucking rocket science. So I walk in with the guy and there's, you know, these fucking nerdy looking newspaper university students, you know, like they always are, you know, long hair, just kind of uh, laser on or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. like nothing <laughs> like, you know, bad, bad attitude. And they're like, yeah, what do you want? Or can I help you? And I go, I'm just wondering, you know, do you ever do shows about the comics that come here? <laughs> no. And I'm like, all right, that was a mistake. And I fucking walk out. And so the other guy stays and the guy's like, you know, what's his problem? He said, well, you know, he went to Brock. He just thinks, you know, Brock kid does good. And so I go to the, the gig. It's in the bar, which is in the same building. And I say to the manager, who is the acting manager of the night. I said, listen, I just went to the Brock press. They treated me like a fucking douchebag. They gave me attitude. And he's like, I know, man. They never do any articles about the shows. We're paying top dollars to these shows, and they're not even telling the kids they're on. Like, just people on this campus on res who have no idea these shows are going on. I go, do you mind if I say something? Like, can I on stage? He goes, oh, fuck yeah, man, do it. I'm like, okay, great. So I go on. I do well. I bring up the headliner. He does well. Then I go back on, and I've got a beer bottle. And it's on it's on the stage. Like, there's a beer bottle on the stage on the front. And I go, uh, you know, I just have a hand for your headliner. Uh, listen, folks, I just want to let you know something. You know, these guys are trying at this bar to bring you entertainment. And every week, the Brock Press never does any articles about the comics here. Because there's only 20 people in this Thunderdome place. Yeah. Like, the residence has thousands. It's all free. Like, it's free it to should, come to the show. It should be It should be yeah. packed, right? And I'm like, you know, so, and so this is literally not that long after uh, Sinead O'Connor ripped the Pope picture. Oh, yeah. So I took a copy of the Brock Press and I go, stop the insanity. And I ripped it in half. (laughs) And the the kids all stood up and cheered like, oh, yeah, fuck, because they got it. Right. And I kicked the beer bottle off stage and I walked off. Right. The guy who's managing was all fine with it. Everything was cool. I get home the next morning. My agent called me. What the fuck did you do? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm going to send you an email. Well, it turns out that the Brock Press went to the show. Oh, shit. Heard what I said and was fucking pissed. But the manager was just an acting manager, not the actual manager. Because this is a quieter oh, night, right? So the main dude The came main back. manager yeah. is pissed. And they wrote this long thing. And I keep everything in my career. This is the only one of the only two things I never kept. And I still regret not keeping this. Wrote this long email. I'm banned. I'm not allowed on the property. Blah, blah, blah. We're revoking blah, your blah. diploma. Every, no, no. They don't know I went there yet. Oh, okay, okay. And I wrote this long message back pretty much going, fuck you. I went there. If you keep this band going, I'm showing up with a fucking screwdriver and I'm taking down every picture of me in any hallway or the grad collective photo that's fucking coming down. I'll bring my fucked up friends and we will do fucked up shit. You know, then all of a sudden when they found out I was alumni, they're like, oh, well, hey, 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 
It's not that bad. I'm like, oh, that matters now? That's what I hate. It shouldn't matter. Yeah. It's like I used to do jokes about cancer, and once I got cancer, I didn't do jokes anymore about cancer because I never wanted to have the, oh, well, I have cancer. Oh, it's okay then. Mm, Everyone's got someone affected by cancer. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know what I mean? So, and the shit hit the fan, and then six months later, they asked me to come back. And I sent him an email. I said, I will only come back if you pay me. Obviously. And you agree that I can say whatever I want on stage. If I want to jump up and down and scream motherfucker for 45 minutes, I will scream motherfucker for 45 minutes and you will pay me. And they said yes? And they said yes. Oh, man, that's amazing. (laughs) I went back. I did a great show. I didn't scream motherfucker for 45 minutes. Nice. Because that's not the audience's fault. They no, deserve to show. You set your parameters at least just right. so that, you know. Right. You had ultimate wiggle room. Right. Yeah. Did a great show. They all were happy with it. Manager's happy with it. I'm his best friend. Never went back. Shit. That's a story. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you always stick to your guns and that's commendable. Um, well, Somewhat. Th- you know what, man? I'm going to ask you uh, the one question to end things off that we've been asking everybody this season. Sure. Which is, if you could be endowed with a superpower, what would it be and why? And flying's not on the table because it's just an obvious go-to, you know? Uh, Time travel, and I would uh, go back to when I was age 18, and I would become a plumber and never set uh, foot on stage. Really? Yeah. For someone who's so dedicated to sticking to their guns, that seems like the opposite of us. Because it's 30 years of filling a hole that never fills. Hmm, instead of unclogging a hole. So, you know, (laughs) the state... Like, I still love comedy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But up until... 10, 15 years ago, it was my whole world, everything. And then, you know, not to be cheesy, I met my wife. My life outside of comedy now is way more important to me than comedy. Now, it's a joke, the time machine thing. Because if I didn't get into comedy, I never would have met my wife, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, that's the but, time but, machine thing. You always risk fucking up. The, right. The I would never have met my wife yeah. and then I wouldn't be happy. But even though I play on stage, I'm the angry guy and I'm cursed and everything, my life is pretty beautiful because of my life outside of comedy. Mm. So... Superpower, you know, time machine, go back to 18, get a trade. So when COVID fucks everything up, I'd be able to at least unclog toilets for a living. Well, there's something. <laughs> what? Did, did you meet your wife at a show? I did not meet my wife at a show, but a funny story there is she was my neighbor in Toronto for two years and her kitchen looked into my bedroom and I spent so much time on the internet, uh, you know, jacking off to weird things and <laughs> having slaves in Texas do crazy things to themselves that they would make fun of me in their kitchen because they'd look in and look, he's on his computer, leave for three hours, come back. He's still on his computer. <laughs> and then two years later, I was talking to a girl and she's like, oh, I live in Sudbury. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I play Sudbury all the time. I used to live in Toronto. I used to live in the annex. I live in the annex. I used to live on this street. I live on that street. I used to live at this address, 419 or 421. I could live at 419. And she's like, oh, my God, you're the guy. I'm like, what guy? You're the guy we used to make fun of. And I'm like, oh, yeah, when I used to jack off to all that crazy stuff? Yeah, that was me. Wow, so romantic. So she gave me her roommate's name, and I sent her an email saying I'm the guy I used to make fun of. And then we had a drink like three days later, and that's the woman I married. Now it's that funny story you tell. Married her, and, you know. So uh, you've been at it for a while now, marriage? I have been married for uh, 16 years. Hey, that's a good run, man. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you're happy. It sounds like you beat cancer. I didn't even know you had had a cancer. Uh, I did beat cancer so far, yeah. So kudos on that. Congrats, yep. man. Good to have you You around. didn't watch the cancer video? I did not. 
Oh, that's my I, second I, I most binged, watched uh, like video. I binged like a 45-minute set. I wanted to watch a right. whole set, you know? But um, the cancer video is even more I saw it in the feed. awkward than the assault video, <laughs> if you can imagine. Yeah, I don't know that I can, but I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. Um, shit, man. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks. It's been really interesting, it. and I really appreciate your uh, perspective on all this, man. Thanks, man. So we used to do high fives. Now we just do jail hands like this. Okay, jail hands. All right. Uh, right on, man. Uh, play me on the arcade, if you will. And uh, see you later, guys. Cheers. Do a cunt for the road. Oh, cunt. <laughs> cunt Lee. L-Y makes it better. Softer. For your kids. Oh, man.